I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, I'm Julie Gould, and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. This is the third part of our series on careers in physics, where we're exploring transitions. Last week, we heard from Elizabeth Tasker, a UK-born astrophysicist who transitioned to Japan and now combines her love of research with her love of science communication. But in this episode, we're exploring a slightly different type of transition, from physics to data science. It's a topic that I've been keen to explore because physicists are often coveted by industry for their skills in data science. But there are so many more people graduating from data science-focused undergraduate degrees that I wonder if there's still a place for physicists in this industry. So this is exactly why Kim Nielsen set up Pivigo in 2013, initially to help academics transition from academia to industry, but now with a special focus on data science. I spoke to Kim to find out more about her background in astrophysics and why and how she transitioned to business. And the conversation started when I asked her why she decided to leave academia in the first place. It was during my PhD studies when I first started to think, hang on, I'm not sure this is the right thing for me because I realised that the things I enjoyed doing the most were actually the project management elements and the making things happen element rather than the actual technical elements of sitting in front of a computer and and coding all day. And so it started to put a seed of doubt in my mind already during my PhD whether it was going to be the right career for me. But I then uh, pursued uh, another two postdoc positions after that because it was a lifelong dream and it's not easy to let go of that. I can totally agree with you there. It is really hard. I know many PhD students and postdocs who have exactly that 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 feeling that they've worked so hard and they've always wanted to do this. And, and even though they know that their potential prospects in academia are, are limited, they don't they don't want to leave. And then there's also the, the fear of being looked at as a failure when when considering options outside of academia. Was that something that ever that ever crossed your mind? The the failure bit, not so much. I think it was more just a fear of the unknown, of, of taking that jump out of academia, which was the only thing I had ever known, and 
having really no idea of where I was going to land. I just had to trust myself that I would figure it out somewhere along the way. So you made the jump. You left academia after your second postdoc. So where did you go and what did you do? I spent about a year applying for just other jobs and uh, jobs within project management, both within science and outside of science, and for other uh, consultancy jobs, management consultancy, strategy consultancy. But I was completely unsuccessful in all of those applications, which, of course, really threw me um, because, again, you start to doubt, can I really do this? But after that year, I was really bitten by the business bug. (laughs) And I really thought my future is somewhere within business, but I'm not quite sure where. And uh, therefore, I decided to do the MBA. And I figured if I have a PhD and an MBA, surely someone will want to hire me. (laughs) So do do you have any thoughts about why you were so unsuccessful for that year where you were looking for jobs? I think this is very related to also what we see in the uh, PhDs that we help to transition into data science today is that when you have been spent your life in academia, you are totally unprepared for what business life is like. And I mean in terms of communication, in terms of teamwork, in terms of the softer skills. And uh, you have this very academic mindset, which many of these companies just do not, uh, do not appreciate, unfortunately. And so it requires a change in mindset. And there are many ways to do that. But I think I just I was just too academic in, in how I came across in those interviews. So you went on, you did an MBA. Did you enjoy it? Absolutely. Yes, it was a fantastic year. What often happens to people who do things like an MBA degree is they, they have a, a seed of an idea of a business they might like to set up. Is that something that happened to you? And then about halfway through the program, I met uh, Jason, who is the co-founder of my business, who had a recruitment background before the MBA. And together, we started to think about all the challenges that me and my friends had faced in making this transition. We started thinking about an industry that is constantly saying they can't find enough analytical talent. And we felt there was a gap to be bridged uh, where we could be really passionate about supporting academics in making that transition. Transition into... Initially, it was anything, really. We, we just wanted to help PhDs get jobs. <laughs> but very quickly after that, we then zoomed in on data science. It was This was now about seven years ago. It was a new thing. It was just around the time when Harvard said that it was the sexiest job of the 21st century and uh, lots of job opportunities and uh, something that also not very many academics knew about at the time and so it was some it was an area that we got excited to work in it's funny that they didn't know about it because there so many scientists are pretty much all what they do is data scientists data well, science especially yes. in in a subject like astrophysics and very interestingly, in those first couple of years when I would go out to universities and give talks and presentations on careers outside academia, uh, the, I would ask them what what roles they were aware of that they could do. And it tended to be finance, it tended to be software development, uh, IP, etc. But um, when I then said, well, have you heard about data science? And this is what the job would be like, and this is the salary you would get, etc., etc. They couldn't believe their eyes. They were shocked and very, very pleasantly surprised that this option existed. And then they all got very excited about it. So what makes a scientist 
so suitable for working in data science in industry? I think uh, especially when especially when you come from a physics background, you will already have done a lot of coding, uh, a lot of software development, so you already have those skills. Tick. Secondly, you will already typically have worked with large data sets, with analysis, with math, statistics. Again, big tick. And those are the two largest groupings of skills that you need to be a data scientist. And on top of that, what you then have is the scientific mindset, which actually, which actually is important in data science, because in data science, you need to have a hypothesis, you need to set up an experiment, you need to run it, you need to then be able to critically evaluate the results that come out. And all of these are scientific skills. So in principle, physicists are the, the full package. So what sort of training do you run at Pivigo for, for scientists who want to become data scientists? About six years ago now, we started the Science to Data Science program, or S2DS. And the whole idea was that, okay, PhDs, they have these amazing skills already. What they're lacking is that little bit of commercial polish, uh, as I mentioned, the understanding of how to use these skills within a commercial environment. Uh, and so we built this program around, well, let's bring together these super smart, super motivated PhDs with companies who want to hire and who are interested in data science and get them just to work on a project. So for five weeks during STDS, our uh, participants, they work on a project with a company. They deliver the, the project as if they were consultants and they get they get that experience in a very safe and risk-free environment and it will help them then go out and apply for a job uh, full-time after that. Now, one of the, the aspects of your science to data science training program is that you do some video conferencing so people can do their training programs from home. Do you find that there are women, particularly with young children, for example, that take part in this because you know they have young children but they really want to make this transition from science to data science? Yes, initially our program was only based in London, uh, physically on site on a campus. But we then decided to start a remote virtual version of the program. And one of the key reasons for that was because there, we know there are some people who just can't travel, who can't spend five weeks away from home. And so what we see is often the people who do the remote version indeed do have other responsibilities, typically parenting responsibilities. There is a, a, I have a great story once about how we were on one of these video calls with a team discussing the project and it was a very professional conversation. One of the women sat a little bit awkward but didn't think much of it until her husband came up from behind her and picked up the baby that she had been nursing while having this conversation. And it blew me away how how we are providing an opportunity here for someone who otherwise would not be able to do this. And uh, it was a proud moment, uh, both for me and for her. <laughs> it's something that I enjoy seeing as well. I've been on many panels and conferences and you more and more you see women bringing their young children to these conferences. And I've even at a few occasions seen women bring their baby up on stage wow. and they've had to nurse during a talk. So it's fantastic that you're able to offer this opportunity as well. Thank you very much. Kim. Thank you. So you've actually brought your colleague with you, Deepak. Deepak, Hello. hi. Can you quickly introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Deepak Mitani. I'm the community manager and data scientist at Pivigo. So you've actually been through the program that mm -hmm. Kim set up? Yep. So I was actually on the virtual program in 2016 of March. 
And why virtual? Um, it was the one that was uh, that came about when I was free. I finished my PhD in January, and the next available program was March. So okay. it was just the right timing. And why did you decide to transition after your PhD? Well, uh, towards the end of my PhD, I, I was thinking about applying for postdocs and so forth, and I applied for one or two. Uh, but then the more I spoke to colleagues who were already there, it became very apparent to me that you know I'd have to move around every three or four years. And also, I ha might have to move country, I might have to move halfway around the world. Uh, and I wasn't prepared to do that yet. I mean, I had a very elderly grandmother at the time, and I wanted to start settling down. So a friend of mine told me about data science and the STDS boot camp. And the more I looked into it, the more fascinated I became and realized that data science really takes all of the bits I loved about my PhD without all of the stuff I didn't like. So what did you do in your PhD? Uh, so I studied exoplanets. So these are planets around other stars. And specifically, I was looking at their atmospheres to try and understand how they work and the chemical and physical properties of them. And that in, that requires a lot of data processing? Yes. Yeah, so we, I was very fortunate to use a space-based telescope called Spitzer, which gets uh, hundreds of gigabytes of data. And there was just loads sitting in the, da in the archive that I was able to analyze, uh, specifically two specific stars. Um, and the time it takes to analyze the data, it's on the timescale of months. But there's a lot of it, and you gain a lot of really interesting skills uh, from just simple coding to asking the right questions of your data to really critically analyzing the results that come out. And that's those are the key skills that you need for any role, specifically within data science. So tell me a little bit about the science to data science program and what it was like for you going through that program. Sure. So... I came into it with having just about picked up Python and was terrified because <laughs> I had learned a very uh, underutilized language outside of academia. And so this was this brand new programming language. And then I was told to build this fancy recommendation engine. And I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do now? <laughs> but one of the best things about the program is that you're in a team of three or four people. And so you're able to utilize your strengths and understand where your weaknesses are. And from there, it became really apparent to me that actually through just a bit of googling and trial and error you can get to where you need to and just like Kim was mentioning earlier changing your mindset from that perfectionist mindset to it has to be right first time to just get it working in a, in a hack and slash way for now and then once that's done then you can tidy it up and make it faster and more efficient um, and that was that was how we did it it was good fun so when you completed the five-week course what, mm. what happened next so I think we actually finished it on my birthday, <laughs> which was uh, That's really... a nice way to finish. It was. It was really good fun. Um, and then I went on to work at a gambling company, and I didn't really enjoy it very much, so I left after about seven months. And about a week before, I'd spoken to Kim, and I was like, Kim, I'm not enjoying myself here. So she said, I'll come into the office. I was like, okay. So trundled into the office after, after work one day, and she's like, well, the community manager roles become available, and you can do some data science there too. And I thought, okay. So I went home and I thought about it and I read it, read into the job spec and realized that it combines both my love of technical stuff but also my communication and people skills. And so it was just the perfect job at the right time. So I applied for it, interviewed for it a week later and had the job on a Friday. So uh, it, was a, it was a very interesting experience. And now I get to travel and talk to loads of PhD students to give them all the advice I wish I'd got. I mean, I was very lucky that I had someone to talk to and get advice from when I was making my transition but not everyone has. So I get to go and speak to everyone and give them all of that advice and help them make that transition really smoothly. So what sort of advice would you offer to those who are looking to transition? Well, I try to give tangible advice. So a lot of times when you look online, it's just sort of very generic, oh, do this, do that. 
But I try to tell them, you know, there's three main things you should do. You should learn about either Python or R, because they're the two most used programming languages within data science. Read up a little bit on machine learning, in that you don't have to know about every algorithm under the sun. Understand the differences between, for example, supervised and unsupervised learning, and what the difference between classification and regression are. And then understand a little bit of SQL as well, because a lot of data is stored in some form of database. And so you really need to be able to access that data. And the simplest way to do that is through a relational database, which uses SQL. And I also recommend two books that really helped me to understand how to change that mindset from academic to business, which were uh, Crucial Conversations, and the other one's called Just Listen. And those two books, what they really do is show you how to be empathetic and understand what your stakeholder is looking for, why they need it, and when they need it. And also understanding how to manage those expectations. It's really important that a lot of stakeholders in the business world might want something tomorrow. And you can try and deliver it, maybe not tomorrow, but the next day. But manage those expectations. And those two books really help me. Okay. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Deepak, thank you very much. You're welcome. Now, someone else who's made the transition from physics to data science is an old university colleague of mine, Lewis Armitage. He completed an undergraduate master's in physics at Cardiff University with me before moving on to do a PhD at Queen Mary University in London. His work was partly based at CERN, the European Organisation for Nuclear Research in Switzerland. Now, he decided, like Deepak, that he needed some more work-life balance and also thought that data science would be where he'd find that. Here's his story. When you were working on your PhD, you had the opportunity to go out and work at CERN. That must have been super exciting to then be, you know, then be able to go to basically the home of particle physics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was actually so amazing that I didn't quite believe it myself. And actually, I think my family didn't really think that I'd ever be able to get there. I can actually remember telling my family that I was actually going to apply for this PhD and I was hoping to get it. And they were like, Lewis, but, but no one works at these institutions. That's crazy. Only crazily good people work at these institutions. And I was like, oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for your confidence. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it turns out that physicists from everywhere can work at these institutions because we've got really, really good skill sets. When you got to CERN, what was it like to actually work there? So I was actually quite surprised, really, because it is an extremely large organisation. And then I was working on the Atlas experiment, which has hundreds and hundreds of people working on it. And you never really meet everyone who works on the experiment. It would be almost impossible to meet everyone. Yeah. I find it interesting to think that you're part of a team where you never actually meet everybody on the team. Did it make you feel like a, you know, even though you felt like a superstar having, you know, being given the chance to work at a place like CERN, did it make you feel very small? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. And I think when you start off, that's always going to be the impression that you get because everyone there knows a lot of other people there. It's kind of like your first day at school, you know, you're there and you've got to meet everyone else. You've got to make your network. 
and then everything seems very big in the way that other people already have their analyses to take care of, their own responsibilities, and you're still kind of finding your feet. But then actually, as the weeks go by, you get more confidence and your analysis gets a direction, and then you start plugging into these different teams. You actually start getting the information that you need to move forward. And then towards the end of the PhD, you feel like, actually, you know what, I've got a place here. Feeling like that superstar you felt at the beginning when you were accepted. (laughs) So what happened next? You you decided to make a move into industry. Yeah, there's quite a few things that happen in a large organisation such as CERN. One of the perhaps downsides is that because there's a lot of people who work there and there's a lot of people who are trying to make their name in science, it becomes an element of competition, I think. And it really pushes people to work as hard as they can. And I think that's really, really good. But it's got this downside in that you start to give your whole life to the subject. This was something that I was noticing, really, in that it can be difficult to actually switch off from the work that you do, from, from the physics that you're trying to do. And so you'll notice that all of your evenings become occupied and that becomes routine. And then beyond that, all of your weekends are becoming occupied and that's routine. And I saw that as actually a really unhealthy work-life balance. So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a lack of love for the subject? Even though like, I really enjoyed what I was doing, I couldn't bring myself to do it every every day and kind of not switch off from it. I really wanted to have my own weekend for myself. I wanted to get back home and just, I don't know, like speak to my friends and talk about something completely different. So after CERN, you moved to industry. You chose a path of data science. Now, what was the job hunt like? Yeah, it it was quite difficult because I don't think I really appreciated what you need to do to look for a job. I mean, it sounds kind of simple, Uh, I mean, it comes down to the really basic things like how do you write a CV? How do you write a cover letter? What kind of jobs are interesting? Where you should kind of target and position yourself? And even how to read a job description is actually really important. And although I had these really strong skills, it was difficult for me to market them properly because I didn't really know what the businesses were actually looking for and what was actually actionable from my skills. And so that was, um, that was a thing that I learned very slowly, actually. Why do you say it was a slow learning process? I think being naive, I think I sent out a load of applications and then I just kind of sat back and thought, OK, well, you know, that's it. You know, I've sent out all these applications. That's done. And then it's only when you kind of start only getting a few replies and then they don't really go anywhere that you actually question yourself and go, actually, maybe, maybe I'm not as strong as I think I am. And then maybe I've actually got to review myself. And then you modify your CV and your cover letters and the style of it. And then you send them out again. And then you get a bit better responses. But then they're still mostly coming back negative. And you're like, well, OK, well, what is it about this? And you can turn to your friends and they can make suggestions for you. How long did it take you to find a job? A little less than a year, actually. What advice should people be following who are interested in a position that is heavy in data science and is in industry? If you've shown that you know, you've actually been able to take data and produce results from your data and then interpret that data, and the key thing is interpret, then that would really be the thing that puts you above because physicists have very good critical thinking skills. But then being able to justify that for a data science position, it really depends on the position. It depends
means if the data science position is actually a half analyst position, if that's the case, then the critical thinking will come in immensely. But if it's just a data science position that's more like full stack developer or something like this, where the, where the candidate is meant to do the data warehousing, they're meant to create all these APIs and then also do some data cleaning and data manipulation for some end user, for some end result. And it's really the end user who then looks at the data and decide whether it makes sense or not. And then they will feed that information back to the data scientist. If that's the case, then physicists are at a disadvantage there. And that's really not, well, in, in my personal opinion, that's, that's not the place where physicists should be going because it's unlikely that you've got the data warehousing skills. It's unlikely that you've got experience building APIs. I mean, maybe you do, and that's, and that's good. And so I think this is a key thing with, again, reading the job description. So you are an analyst at T-Square Insights in Geneva. So what does an analyst do? So for my day-to-day job, essentially I take data that's already been processed by an R&D team who are the full-stack developers. And then I have a brief that is the client's uh, requirements and I've got to satisfy those requirements for their analysis and we've got to build our analysis around the data. So I've then got to write the code, which will then access the database. It will then process the data in a particular way. It will chop up the data into the right components. And then it will run various statistical analyses, again, depending on what the client wants. And then that will output a certain number of files. I take those files and then I put them into some deliverable, whether it's a presentation or whether it's some Excel file, perhaps, that the client wants. But then there's a key element there at the very end, which is to look at your results and look at the data and to make some insights about it. You've got to look at the data and go, okay, so what's actionable here? What, what will the client find useful? What is going to make us as a business look really good with our data? And then that's really where I inject my creativity and I inject the, the critical thinking because that is something that not everyone can do. Thanks to Lewis Armitage. Now, in the next episode, I speak to Professor John Butterworth from University College London, and he works at CERN, just like Lewis did. He's spent many years working on the Atlas project and supervising students who've done the same. Now, I wanted to speak to him to find out what it's really like working on such an enormous international team like Atlas, which led the discovery of the Higgs boson, especially when there was such a huge media focus around it. Here's a sneak preview. And one of the nice things with particle physics is it's not all down to like one PI in their lab. It's, there's a huge number of us. So it was good that wherever anyone on the, in the media pointed their microphone, they found someone who was excited because the excitement was real. But it was also good that, you know, some physicists, their worst nightmare is to be in front of a camera. And that's absolutely fair enough. You know, you don't, everyone doesn't need to do it. Now, don't forget, you can always find out more about what Nature Careers team is up to on Facebook and on Twitter. And there's, of course, the website, www.nature.com forward slash careers. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.